0: Welcome to Beer Net Radio. Listen to on every continent except Antarctica. Beer Net Radio. Jordan, you gonna
1: get a matching tracksuit with Harry's? That would be pretty cool. I'll get one too.
0: Yes. <laughs> You're getting a jumpsuit. You're getting a jumpsuit, Biscuit, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Jordan, how are you? What'd you do last night besides work?
2: Just work and... <laughs> Les and I are doing a little sleep training in with Lenny right now.
1: How's that going?
2: Uh, it's actually going pretty good. good. What I've discovered is sometimes you need to just pay a professional to tell the wife, the mom, that it's okay to let the baby cry <laughs> for 10 minutes.
1: Sometimes, Because uh. that's
2: basically like what happened is, you know, we didn't have any structure Um, She would wake up and I'd be like, I think she's not crying. Like, I think she's just up unless it's like, it's that maternal like instinct. It just kicks in. She's like, no, I need to go get her. I'm like, "Ah."
0: so gotta uh, let him cry. It exercises their lungs. I'm told
2: (laughs) we're not doing like crazy long uh, intervals of letting her cry. But well, we've discovered that there was a lot of times she was waking up and she wasn't really up. You know, she was just kind of. Sleep we, talking.
0: You know, Jordan, how these big corporations they hire consultants to fire people so they don't have yeah. to do it. That's you know, that's what you're doing here. Just and I and I don't blame you. I I did the exact same thing. I was like, you know, t- talking to the pediatrician. I was like, we just tell her that the baby's fine. Now, I've and look how they them.
1: turned out. No, yeah, no. Right. Yeah, maybe don't take <laughs>
0: advice from me. Y'all, Why is the best. Do you see him out here? Let's let our guest in because sometimes we wait too long and then they leave. And they're
1: like, what the hell?
0: <laughs> this is Adam. And that country law is cool, actually. I, I looked it up and uh, I like when they say we're uh, between Nashville and Austin. Somewhere. And I like that because you know what? I like Nashville and I like Austin. And it turns out everybody else does too because that's where everybody's moving. And I liked uh, Nashville and Austin back when nobody else liked it you know that's that's uh... a
1: <laughs> hello adam welcome to beer net radio so you founded country luau spirits locale spirit-based rtd brand that donates two percent of sales to musicians flavors like mango mosa with real vodka yuzu ranch water with blanco tequila all things that i would love to try um but i have to say what really got us interested in you is your back or the brand is your background adam because i mean you know Keeping your LinkedIn, you've been global director of e at ZX Ventures. You led sales and innovation for Heineken, VP marketing for Waterloo Sparkling. So you've seen how the sausage is made, right? And you're still coming back to make it for yourself. So why now and why this proposition?
3: Well, I just want to you know, level set that <clears throat> after 20 years of doing those things, um, st- after starting my own company, I really feel like I don't know a single thing. <laughs> about the industry. I think that's the uh clear thing that I've proven myself in the last welcome
0: to the club Adam. Right. I mean I've been doing this for 20 years and I still <laughs> learned something. I you know price elasticity of demand still uh confuses me. So
3: <laughs> yeah it's a general idea, right? It kind of right. works sometimes. Right. Uh, <laughs> I can
0: fake it in a conversation, but go ahead.
3: No, I mean after a long career kind of working for some really cool global brands and awesome companies and you know Acquired a, a vast amount of knowledge, you know, working for some of the bigger players and really enjoyed my time there. You know, a few years ago, I started scaling down my career for this moment, mm-hmm. you know, to do my own thing. I it was always on my career path roadmap. And it was really about, you know, finding the right opportunity um, in really kind of emerging category and waiting for that moment, right? Coming into big categories or big category segments is really hard and really learn that from you know, Waterloo, where we were competing against Coke, Pepsi, LaCroix, some really awesome brands and really good companies, Um, but did get a perspective how to compete in commodities, I think, and kind of build brands within commodities or commodity categories. And I looked at RTD, you know, um, as one of those big opportunities, because it's so disruptive to multiple categories, Right um it's disruptive to beer it's disruptive to core spirits it's disruptive to craft spirits um it's really disruptive to wine uh in addition to that when you look at kind of what's going on in wine so i was like man there's something cooking going on in this kind of new emerging category and then you look at you know the fmb space and just from a product quality standpoint really under delivering on an awesome opportunity um you know really underlay. I, I remember going to a little festival, you know, years ago, and I I walked into an executive, you know, and I saw the Bon Vee hard seltzer. Then it was just called Spike oh. Seltzer, right? And David, right. And guys, yeah, I grabbed it and I walked into, you know, a global VP's office in ZX and I said, So this is going to change the game.
2: Nice. Um, but
3: even then the product quality under delivered on the value proposition of kind of what these refreshing kind of mocktail cocktail, you know, emulators could really deliver. Right. Um, if anything, it was a good channel solution, but the product kind of given that channel solution really underwhelmed consumers, um, it was novel. So it took off. Right. Um, and I just looked at this opportunity and said, man, we can just, we as an industry can do a lot better. And, um, and I'd love to be a part of that.
1: So it is you interesting
3: that
0: the, I'm sorry, Jen, I, this is my last, it, Okay. it, it is um,
1: <laughs>
0: the, the, the whole, you know, malt-based seltzer craze, like you said, that it was really a channel play, um, but it disrupted and it allowed an entree for entrepreneurs, kind of like craft beer did like back in 2010, you know, I, I, there's these, these opportunities don't come very often, but when they do, um, I think it's cool because it gives us more to report on, except for just AB, B, Coors Constellation, you know? Yeah,
3: but it's also incredibly hard because, you know, you got a gold rush, right? And anytime you kind of prove these, you get a, a huge gold rush and you get a lot of competition, not only from big companies, but from extremely creative entrepreneurs. Um, who all have you know create a value proposition in a very different way. Um, some of them sustainable, some of them not. But they they really challenge the status quo of kind of what uh, first to market movers uh, had accomplished.
1: So do you think that Spike Seltzer now Bonvive? you think the problem with that was just the formula, or was there more than that? And also, is that kind of the moment where you thought this is what I want to bring to market myself?
3: Well, not just V, but kind of the hard seltzer, you know, craze overall. I think, you know, they did an outstanding job of getting to market, capturing consumers, creating habitual use. Mm -hmm. Um, But as that consumer matures, they become kind of more aware or in a lot of cases, more confused Mm -hmm. um, about what they're actually consuming. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially as consumers age, they tend to premiumize. And unless you can keep filling kind of the, you know, the bottom, you know, the consumer, you keep a recruitment strategy really heavy with the generation of consumers, they're going to leave you for more premium options or more authentic options over time. You know, we saw that on, uh, on Malibu when I was working on that brand. So we constantly had to be recruiting because as they aged, they would leave the brand for more mature problems. So, and that can be very expensive and very competitive, um, and if over time, consumers on a younger at a younger age are starting to premiumize faster and younger, then that presents a significant problem for things like hard seltzer, who, you know, because of their malt liquor base and the way that that product doesn't play nice with other ingredients, mm-hmm. um, you know, not like the way spirits does spirits plays really nice with everything That's why cocktails are cocktails um you know that presents a huge problem for that segment of the category and that's where rtd spirit-based rtds really provide that quality solution for consumers and beer wholesalers are all over it mm-hmm. right they're figuring it out and they love because it yeah. it's a high margin item has a potential for really great velocities it gives them something to push back against spirit companies who have been eroding their market share for years. Um, And they need something to fight against, you know, uh, declining trends in craft, craft beer specifically, which they based a lot of business on. It's a great replacement.
1: Yes. So, you know, your website says you guys are in 32 states uh, or you ship to 32 states. So, you know, speaking of beer distributors, I got to believe you've got distributors in most of those markets. Can you paint that picture for us?
3: Yeah. So we've really aligned with, um, you know, we always try to align with the best option, you know, in the market. And thus far we've really found a lot of success aligning with beer wholesalers. Um, I love it and I hate it (laughs) because, you know, it's going to be a lot of beer wholesalers
1: (laughs) better
3: out of the company. I think on average, you're going to collect about 271 partners. So, um, Give it a few
1: yeah.
3: years. <laughs> yeah, in a few years. It would know, be a fantastic problem to have, right? A champagne problem. Um, but you know, who I really like and seems to be um, really strong as kind of two, two players is I think the Reyes guys really get it. And they kind of really know category management really well. And we aligned with them in South Carolina. And then it's really about kind of your local ABI distributors. Um, they're really strong, they understand category management better than anyone uh, from a distributor standpoint alongside kind of the Reyes folks. Um, but then there's always independent players and in, you know the Miller Coors houses in certain markets who are also really incredible. Um, so it's really, you know, it goes back to picking your right partner in the market who who's got it together and who believes in the segment and is investing in the segment. And who has the internal resources, right? Because it's not just a plug-and-play channel thing. Because traditionally, if you're in liquor markets, your beer guys don't always have kind of that independent liquor kind of uh, power that's really you know driven to the spirit companies. Um, So, are they investing in that channel, resourcing the channel from a a sales standpoint? Uh, Because they're traditionally low-volume beer accounts, but has a potentially high-volume RTD account. So, you really need to make sure you're you're lining up with someone who shares that same vision for the expansion of this category.
2: And do you see uh, beer wholesalers um, starting to say like, bring me, bring me more canned cocktails. Like you're talking about AB distributors. Obviously a lot of them have cut water, but are they just saying, bring it on. I'll take i uh, I'll take more and more of canned cocktails.
3: Not more and more. Um, it's certainly harder than ever to get, you know, a distributor to, to to bet on you. I think <clears throat> what they saw during the rapid expansion of hard seltzer and then the subsequent rapid contraction of power brands in the hard seltzer category said, Hey, let's do fewer, bigger, better. Right. So they're placing bigger bets on a smaller portfolio of complementary RTDs. And I think, you know, we're still really early in the segmentation within the category, but I mean, the segmentation could get really weird down the road on how we choose as an industry to kind of start segmenting RTDs. So I think the way they look at it is, do they have complementary products from both a product design standpoint, pricing standpoint, consumer targeting standpoint, and they kind of look at those things. And do we really create a symphony of RTDs versus just take start hoarding options kind of maybe the way that some wholesalers looked at craft beer in hard seltzer in the early days of the category growth, they've kind of learned from from those. those experiences.
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, we we talked about that last week with Rebecca Mezelle and Don Faust. How you know, maybe three years ago it was more come one, come all, and now it's you know after they're still f- having inventory issues getting through all the seltzer, it's like now nah, we're gonna we're gonna be much more uh, discerning on who who we do business with. One of the things you mentioned that, you know, certainly it's much easier just to go with two or three wide-spirits wholesalers. You got the whole country covered. Um, although you might get lost in their book and they don't cover sea stores as well per se. Um, it, does that come into your thinking of, of going into the uh, complexity of going with <laughs> 300 wholesalers potentially instead of three?
3: Yeah. The channel awesome. access is the question, I guess. It puts a lot of pressure on you internally on how you have to cover, you know, your distributor network because it's uh, you want to have a close relationship. And right. the wider you spread yourself, the the less close you can be and the less TLC you can spend, you know, working with your distributor to come on with the right, right channel plans, right strategies, right? But it still comes down to, you know, I, I think it's still a, a similar thing is your distributor is gonna be your best resource to get distribution pretty quickly in a market. And then it is still the burden of the supplier to be able to create the pull, right? And that's through marketing excellence, right? And so the brands who are excellent marketers, I think are the ones that are gonna be be really successful. You know, if you put too much of the pressure on your distributor partner, you have unrealistic expectations. It's really a partnership they get a little bit of push for you and then it's your job to create the pull. So
1: how do you guys market Country Luau then?
3: So we still do a lot of hand-to-hand combat. You know, I think the the magic of Country Luau is we can build trust and loyalty with consumers on liquid liquid ellipse opportunities. So Mm -hmm. it's still playing in that expensive demo world, right? Which puts a lot of pressure on your resources internally because demos are... Not that scalable, right? You got to have a lot of cash to do that one. Um, but it's about when,
0: when you say demo, you you mean like sampling in the trade? Yeah. Okay. I'd, the lingo changes, so I, I got to keep up with it.
3: Yeah, yeah. But I, I I adopted some vocabulary from the water business as well. So oh, okay, I'm, I'm like speaking a hybrid of alcohol and, and alcohol, so it's, um, you know. And demo is hand-to-hand combat and that can be in a variety of, you know, portions. So it's events that ladder in with kind of your, um, you know, your marketing platform showing up in places where your consumer, your target consumer is going to be and complementing those experiences, like at music festivals for us, since we're a music driven brand. Um, then on top of that, it's just good targeted, um, good targeted social media, um, and then having right media partners as well, you know, Gallows really figured out a recipe and in investing in media platforms that have a collective of influencers that can build brand awareness and then also help you establish trust with consumers through those through those ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's they've done a really excellent job, and they should be a case study recently on how to build rapid adoption of products. <clears throat> so,
1: so we have. Pl-
3: we have some plans on that coming up you know we just uh it's it's very underutilized
0: i think uh you know we bang energy was another one that, that was before their downfall you know they 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 were the first to go to tiktok and uh you know they didn't even they just said put it in the put it just have it sitting there they you know you don't even have to say anything and and it built the brand at least that's what i hear
3: yeah um, they knew who their tribe was right they knew yeah. exactly and it was kind of this fitness influencer market. Right. And it was, um, they used a lot of female influencers with very large male audiences. Right. Um, and that was really effective for them. And, you know, not to say that those female influencers didn't have also very strong, trusting female audiences. So, you know, it was just really effective, um, really smart because that's where the tribe, you know, that's where their tribe was. And they just, they found key influencers in their tribe. And it's always better to start, you know, as pinpoint to your target consumer as you can get. Who is tribe. your tribe? Mm-hmm. Who
0: is, what is the name? Where does Country Luau come from?
3: It comes from a variety of influences. Um, it's a really kind of cool story. So originally it was a, this really crappy dive bar in South Texas and um
1: we love crappy dive bars in south texas
3: it's a it's a a dive bar and you know i was talking with a colleague of mine once and i said hey where do you go when you go home uh for you know for holidays and he goes oh we go hang out and drink at the country luau and i just said oh my god that is an incredible name it's like
0: it's like near dallas i i think i've heard of it no, it's in like, King,
3: Kingsville, Texas. Oh,
0: Kingsville. Okay. I'm, yeah, okay. South Texas. That's real South Texas. That's uh, yeah, by very, the King Ranch, great. by the border, basically. Yeah.
3: Cool. Yeah. And I, I just, there's something really, I get attracted to names that evoke an emotional connection. And that name just kind of hit me right in the chest. And I was just like, man, that's that's an incredible name. You know, and, th- and the names popped up all over the country, music festivals, private parties. And so there's... Some kind of, you know, it was already kind of spread around the country and I kept, but I said, I want to learn more about kind of what that would mean from a brand. I was like, what is it? What would be a country? So I started doing research and I started finding these kind of interesting elements to kind of Texas, Southern culture, country culture. And, you know, I found out that um, cattle ranching in Hawaii, you know, predated cattle ranching in the Americas or in in america all the way back to the 1700s and you know the 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 hawaiian cowboys were taught to cowboy by mexican cowboys called the paniolo which was really cool which is why you kind of see the bowl pop up in our in our thing so it's a wink and nod to that history um and you know there was obviously an influence of music that happened there so that's why i always joke that our our uh, our ranch water could be the really the authentic ranch water because it uses some of the japanese flavor influence of hawaii with yuzu the tequila influence of the of paniolo so maybe we have the original ranch
1: water i'm <laughs> not right.
3: sure i like it, it. it it's a stretch but I'll, i'm going <laughs> <read it. laughs>
1: to We're going to um, roll with that
3: so and then we kept kind of you know i'm a big country music fan growing up in texas and you know, as I I grew up, I always heard this kind of sound in country music that sounded very tropical. And as I was doing more research, I kind of kept looking into that. And it turns out in the 1900s, the Hawaiians created the first steel guitar. So it was like this young 19-year-old man, and he created this lap steel guitar. He basically put a a guitar on his lap, changed out the strings to metal, and then he used a rail tie to create this really incredible sound. Then he brought it to the World's Fair. And everybody was like, oh my God, that's the new guitar sound and had a lot of influence over blues rock and country and it's just not recognized that story and so we actually donate to Himle which is an organization in Hawaii that helps continue the education of the steel guitar we love we love that story and then kind of the you know the literal meaning of the word luau which is a backyard party with live music and food right so when we think of kind of Hawaiian ranching we think of you know, getting together and having a good time, which aligns with our mission statement of bring people together and enhance life's most memorable moments. Um, this kind of world that a country Luau could represent and the backstories that we backed into were really fun and really beautiful. Um, and that was something I felt like I could help build on. And that gave me kind of enough, you know, not just a fun name or a name that evoked emotion, but it's a, it's a name with a really great story behind it. And some real kind of cross, you know, cross pollination to country, country music, culture, Southern culture, ranching culture. That is cool.
0: I like that, I, you know, and you're right. It does punch an emotional impact. And I didn't know why I just, I was like, that's cool. Country luau, you know, it, it it's uh, mixes two things you don't normally see together. And, you know, who is your tribe? Like who, um, who drinks country luau without even, uh, hard
3: selling it to them? Yeah, when we do demos, you know, and we engage with consumers one to one, it's everybody. That's I think that's the wild part. You know, you have your consumer target, but then who really pulls it is like the other thing, and it's everybody. Um, you know, we do really well when when we do like a younger store near uh, a college, right? Like they're grabbing it like crazy. Then we move out to a more affluent area, and people are grabbing it for different occasions, you know, pool, boat, barbecue. You know, the kind of our our kind of take on what I call, you know, Gulf Western tropical, um, you know, really kind of resonates with a lot of people. Um, But when we look at marketing, our consumer target is really kind of country music fans in the Southeast, college educated consumers, um, great household incomes. You know, it is a, awesome and underserved consumer target. Um, They've been waiting for something that kind of represents kind of their lifestyle a little bit closer than, you know, some of the bigger, bigger, more homogenous brands.
1: So I'm wondering what the volume prospects are, and maybe if you could share what you guys have done so far.
3: Yeah, we think the the category RTD, right, as a whole is going to be pretty big. I think, uh, the
1: spirits based or as a whole, like as a whole, okay.
3: um, you know, I think where we're sitting right now is somewhere around 8% of total RTD, right. The spirits based stuff. And that's a pretty big, uh, leap year over year, over year, obviously driven by probably one major player,
1: mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know,
3: someone, someone we're all familiar with mentioned um-
1: gallo, right. <laughs>
3: So, you know, it's really driven by that one major player when you look at like how influential that that brand has been to the category. But what we love about it is that it's doing exactly what we think the category is gonna continue to do, which is, you know, source volume from a very large FMB-based, you know, RTD-based, right? So again, how we segment the thing is still kind of wonky, right? I wish we could pull them apart you know, that way we can get a cleaner read on kind of what's growing where. Um, But I think they've done an excellent job of sourcing volume and premiumizing consumers um, from the FMB or the malt-based stuff. I think the category, the way we calculate it is going to be somewhere in the U.S. around 20 billion by 2027. I think that's very ambitious. Um, But I think as more consumers move from adjacent categories, again, because my vision is that It's pulling from spirits, you know, traditional, you know, 750 and up spirit type products. It's pulling from beer for people looking for more refreshment, healthier, perceived healthier um, options, as well as, you know, pulling people over from that um, $8 billion, you know, FMB space. So we think, you know, 20 billion is optimistic. And if we can grab a, a good portion of that, that would be fantastic.
1: Do you have any internal projections you can share or you guys are really just starting out? When did, when did you hit the market? Like this year, right? Or Early April. Okay.
3: Yeah. So we're still a baby. Yeah. So we're still figuring this whole thing out.
1: Right.
3: Um, I think we'll finish the year somewhere, you know, probably around 12,000 cases, um, which was better than forecasted for us. You know, we're, we're on the, kind of that run rate now of around 1,000 cases a month which is fantastic and we're seeing sustainable results through some seasonality, um, which is good. Um, But, you know, we do anticipate some softness, you know, in Q4, um, driven by both consumer and retail prioritization. Um, But we do anticipate an even bigger summer next year. So, because it's just going to keep getting better for the spirit based stuff.
0: Yeah, and it look it looks like you also have a a DTC business. And how developed is your DTC business, and how's that going?
3: It's pretty passive for us, to be honest with you. Um, it's an option for consumers uh, who can't find us. We're you know as we we started the brand in Austin and Nashville, uh, which have uh, some pretty significant tourism traffic, and we do run into uh, a pretty large percentage of out of towners. And so the traffic that we do see is usually from people that we have met during events or demos who've fallen in love with the product really quickly and want it back in their hometown where we don't service those states. Right. So that's kind of how we establish the capability. You know, from my time at, at ZX with e-commerce business, you know you you can you can take an omni-channel approach if you want to but they're both very expensive and so if if you really like burning capital do both it's fantastic just just really enjoy that ride i love Um, burning capital that's my
0: favorite thing to do actually is burn capital
1: i'm glad you said that harry because you can burn some (laughs) capital on me
3: okay let's go let's
0: go hey let's go to hawaii
3: but i you know I think unless you have that, you know, if, if you like DTC and you have some special, you know, tool you can use or a media platform you can use or something that has like really great national reach and that gives a consumer to purchase, that's your secret weapon. I think trying to do it on a media investment only and trying to create a profitable flywheel on e-com, just given the economics of heavy RTD products, yeah, it's not that great. It better, I, had, on, I had better had realized it was on. heavy. Better on 750 business. Like, that's a cool channel. Like, I would love to launch a full right. product DTC there. Um, you know, something over $100 would be, yeah. you know, it, bottle, it is right? tough when
0: you get the freight uh, and all that in there.
1: Um, yeah. And, the and
0: wh- where are you? Uh, where is it line priced?
3: Is it with the uh, high noon or? No, no, we're, we're, we're true. I mean, high noon is all over the place now. I think they raise prices. Yeah. Retailers are starting to finally say, okay, well, we can't stay. We we can't go below twenty percent margins anymore on this stuff, and they're starting to uh, push price up, right? And then you're seeing people um, above us go up a dollar or two. So we're we're holding strong at twelve ninety nine. We've got great supply chain partners that are are, are taking it easy on us because mm-hmm. uh, they know what phase we are in, um, and they believe in the company long term. So they're not going to kind of hit us short term for, and put some financial pressure on us. Um, so we've actually increased margins during supply chain issue time periods, which is mm-hmm. kind of nuts. Um, but we like that $12.99 because I think we're going to see compression below us. And then we'll see, you know, continue kind of expansion upwards above us. So it's kind of a Goldilocks type price point.
0: Yeah, it's a good value. Uh, and it's a, that's a good place to sit, I would think.
3: Um, it goes back to our our theory of elasticity, right? Like where's the best place to be? Yeah, right. Because there's a lot of cross elasticity these days because
0: the consumer's promiscuous. This is what we're this is what we hear at all these uh, you know A B events. Um, so uh, I think that's cool. And 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 what about uh, you, you know you talk about how you're music based, and I know you give back to
3: to musicians. And uh, where are you based in Austin or? I really live out of my car.
2: Yeah. Um,
3: so, it, you know, as an entrepreneur, it, I'm not based anywhere. I'm based where the business kind of needs me the most because I've got a, a pretty flexible lifestyle. So, in the first few months of our business, I floated between, you know, our, our four markets where we're currently available. Spent most of my time in the early phase in Nashville, um, currently back in Austin since we launched Austin this month. And then it's really, where, the, where does the business need you in this kind of remote working world um, you have that luxury to kind of say okay where, well, where can I go and build a really strong relationship with my wholesalers support the local market from a founder's perspective um, you know because it's exciting for stores during their first launch period to meet a founder of any business right. um, and it gives me a really good local understanding of the markets which gives me a better global understanding of strategy
1: are you Adam, out, I, I have,
3: that is the best
0: answer I've heard from anybody. And you, you know who else does that? And this may make you laugh, but, um, happy dad seltzer from the Nelk boys. they the YouTube sensation guys. Every time I check his Instagram, he's never at home. He's, he lives in LA. I think he's, he hadn't been in LA in like two years. He just travels constantly. And it's a good way to, um, build out a brand if you're there. I think this guy, Jim, started it, right? I forget his last name. Yeah. Uh, Sam. Sam is the guy that I'm looking at. Uh, <laughs> he's one of the Nelk. Uh, Biscuits. Nel- calm yeah. down. Sorry, my dog's very wants <laughs> to meet you. He's, he, my dog also likes to meet founders. So uh, go ahead, Jen. I talked over you. Sorry about that.
1: No, that's okay. I w- Adam, I was just wondering what new markets you were looking to open potentially since you're in four. I know that you shipped to a few others, but um, what else are you looking to open?
3: we're really focused on the Southeast Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where, you know, our, our, our consumer index is really strong across the whole country.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, but for us to be an efficient organization, it's about concentration. Right. And I think between, you know, Austin, Nashville, South Carolina, you know, we'll we'll be moving into Georgia next year. Mm -hmm. Um, Florida, hopefully Florida is the whole thing. Um, You know, it's tough to do beer, beer network in Florida. So we're hopeful to find maybe a spirit partner that can can take a statewide, especially with chain pricing in that market. But it's really a concentration of building a really strong regional brand, which, you know, I think when you look at how categories and emerging segments really have evolved, there's a really opportunity to build a really great regional brand first, and Mm -hmm. then take a look at national expansion over time but then there's always opportunity. So, and you gotta, you gotta look at opportunity when it comes because there's, there's a lot of it out there and we get calls from the Northeast already. And from distributors saying, when are you coming to New York city? And I'm like, let's talk about it. Uh, I'm not sure what that would look like for us, but it's really kind of, it's been really, um, really humbling for kind of people to take a look at our brand and, and start calling us for it. So uh, we're excited about the future and but we're also very focused. It seems like a natural fit for the Southeast.
2: Adam, you know, uh, it seems like most spirits-based seltzers, they've kind of stuck with one alcohol base, vodka. um, And I'm sure it's much more difficult to work with three different bases. um, But have you found it to be that much more rewarding
3: bringing that variety to the shelf? Yeah, I think our variety pack, you know, there's a few other companies that take that approach as well. I think it comes down to authenticity right and when you move into rtd um, and aligning flavors that have a true connection to the spirit that you use um so like our strawberry dak shack is awesome consumers love it because they're like hey there's not really a lot of like delicious rum seltzers out there but what's the flavor profile that you know matches up great with rum well it's always you know strawberry daiquiri so we created a know 100 calorie strawberry daiquiri without all the pain and suffering of a you know the full strength version and i feel very authentic in the right spirit to use for that product um you know ranch water obviously requires tequila to be somewhat authentic and then mango mosa and pineapple jalapeno with vodka in it you know kind of has that broader market that vodka consumer appeal but you know flavors that you wouldn't normally find paired up with vodka so it's a we're a little bit hypocritical, um, but the consumer, uh, I think, is driven by flavor first, right? And when you look at the research, that that is kind of what they prioritize in their decision tree. And then when they start looking at kind of spirit-based or what is the alcohol source, and that kind of sits in the middle of the decision tree. So, but you know, working on a lot of other brands, it's the marriage between those two things. Which creates authenticity, and then that can be something the consumer values um, more, right? And that's when you start creating more of an emotional connection uh, with the consumer. Like, oh, I get it, I love it, like that makes me feel better about drinking this.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, and again, like <clears throat> I think the downside to that, Jordan, is um, it it will be a bit more confusing to market all products at once. So you lose some market. You use some marketing, you lose marketing efficiency, you know, by saying, hey, country Lua, vodka (laughs) seltzers. So we we can also create a little consumer confusion along the way, um, or it's just a little harder to market. But we feel like it's the right thing to do. Um, And that's where the category will head to more authentic um, representations of RTDs and kind of cocktails in general.
1: Well, Adam, I'm going to order me some strawberry deck shack on Drizzly this weekend because I'm based in Austin. So thank you so much for for sharing everything with us. And we'll definitely keep an eye on you.
3: It's live at all. I think I checked yesterday, but it's now live at all your total lines too. So you can grab them there.
1: Oh, great. we Will do. I have to say it's rare these days that I actually get to a liquor store, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will for this.
3: I like, oh,
0: I'm I'm interested mostly in the pineapple jalapeno. Alright. Well good. Well thanks for being on and uh we'll catch you up with you and we'll have you back on in, in uh six months at your if your game. Sounds like playing nice. guys. Thanks Bye. for uh, being uh country really uh, You bet. Take care. Thanks. Bye guys. Bye.